0: We began this new year with a sermon series on faithfulness. And in this series, we're looking at the Bible and reflecting on the truth that God's extravagant forgiveness must also inspire us to faithfulness. We began by looking at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, which is a book in the New Testament of the Bible, which says, now it is required that those of you who have been given a trust must prove faithful. And we have been entrusted with the gift of faith in Christ Jesus. Christ was offered up to death on a cross as a sacrifice of atonement for our sins, so that just as Christ was punished in our place, out of his punishment... In our place, we would receive God's forgiveness. And so since we have been entrusted with this incredible gift of forgiveness, we must also joyfully live a life of faithfulness. And that's, that's really been the broad gist of the series. In, in the last sermon in the series, we saw that part of living a life of faithfulness in Christ is to invest in deep gospel friendships. Yes, gospel community is wonderful, but we must also make ourselves vulnerable in a few uh, deep and authentic gospel friendships. That's what we looked at the last sermon of the series. Today, we're going to be looking at another aspect of our faithfulness. How our faith must also translate to meaningful action. We're going to be looking at a passage from the Bible from the book of James in the New Testament. Uh, James was one of the brothers of Jesus, and he was a leader in the church in Jerusalem soon after the death and uh, and the resurrection of Christ Jesus. And we're going to be looking at James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. It'll come up for us on screen. I'm going to read it out for us. What good is it, my brothers? is dead and someone will say you have faith and i have works show me your faith apart from your works and i will show you my faith by my works you believe that god is one you do well even the demons believe and shudder do you want to be shown uh don't get angry with me for these words get angry with james do you want to be shown you foolish person that faith apart from works is useless. Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with works and faith was completed by works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. If there is one author in the New Testament who gets Christians worked up, it is Mr. James. You're going to see as this sermon unfolds that that he has this way of getting under our skin. So this is a um, a challenging passage, Uh, perhaps even a little bit of a confusion in this passage about the very basis of our faith. So we're going to be looking at all of that. Um, I'd like to draw two things from this passage. First, clarifying the true nature of good works. And second, laying out a true path for good works. Clarifying the true nature of good works and laying out a true path for good works. Let's start with the first thing. Clarifying the true nature of good works. Uh, verse 17 in the passage says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So what do we mean by works? Or what do we mean by good works, which is which is the topic of the sermon. Any action that flows from our faith in Christ is what we refer to as work, works or good works. Any action flowing from faith. Is our faith in Jesus flowing out in the form of enough meaningful and appropriate action? That's the question James is is really forcing us to consider. Imagine a doctor. Can anyone who is unable to treat patients claim to be a doctor just by wearing a white uh, coat and slinging and, and, and a stethoscope around his neck, uh, the uniform of the doctor must also be accompanied by the action that is expected from a person wearing the uniform. When we believed, when we believe that we are saved by Christ Jesus, it means nothing less than to be clothed with the very righteousness of Christ. Every single person who believes that Jesus is the son of God and and died and rose again from the dead to purchase our forgiveness for our sins is clothed with the very righteousness of Christ. This is our uniform. And so the question that James is calling us to consider is do our good works, do our actions reflect the uniform we are wearing? Do our actions reflect the righteousness of Christ that we have been clothed with? You know, if you go to a hospital, you're not going to have any problem trying to find out who the doctor is. He's going to be wearing a white coat and he, most likely he or she is going to have a stethoscope. Uh, if you go to a court you are not going to have any problem identifying uh, who the lawyer is or who's who's the judge out there. Uh, On a flight, you're not going to uh, get into a flight uh, and uh, wonder who the pilot is. You know who the pilot is uh, when when, when when he or she walks in. The uniform is there. But how do we identify a follower of Jesus? The uniform that we wear The righteousness of Christ is not physically visible. So a true follower of Christ is identified by the good works that flow out from her faith. And this is what James means when he says in verse 18, I will show my faith by my works. Let's pause for a moment here to to look at the last month or the last year. And let's look at the opposite. Let's turn this verse around and look at it the other way. What do our actions tell the world about our faith? This past week, this past month, this past year, two years of this God-forsaken pandemic, what do our actions tell the world about our faith? Let's make this, let me try and make this very practical. Could we list out for ourselves five meaningful actions or good works that are a visible demonstration of our faith in Jesus? The first is very easy for all of us. We're all here gather together to worship Jesus and, and serve one another in community, right? That's a clear action that's flowing out of our faith in Christ Jesus. It's an important action. It's a very important part of faith expressing itself in good work. Great, we, have, we all have one done. Can you think of four more actions this past week, this past month, four actions that demonstrate our faith in Christ Jesus? Are there rhythms that demonstrate your faith? How, if you were to look at your life, if I were to look at my own life this past week, this past month, what is it about my actions? What is it about my works? What is it about my behavior? What is it about my lifestyle? that demonstrates the faith I claim to have in Christ Jesus. That's what James is really calling us to consider in his very unique and provocative way. You know, James takes another really big step and even goes on to say that this question of our good works Here's a question of our salvation itself. Look, look at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If you have faith and you claim to have faith, but you, you don't have works, can that faith save us? In other words, James is really forcing us to consider, can we be sure of our salvation if our claimed faith in Christ Jesus is not accompanied for a long season by meaningful and appropriate actions or good works? Bluntly put, if I don't have any good works for an extended period of time, James is asking me, Am I really saved? It's a weighty question. Uh, a question we will do well not to brush aside. James is really pressing into the issue here. He is saying that this question of faith leading to action, this question of faith leading to good works, is not about being a good Christian or a not so Christ- not-so-good Christian. He's saying this is not about being a strong Christian or a weak Christian. He's saying this is not about being a mature Christian or or a not so mature Christian. James is saying this is even more fundamental. James is saying the question of good works is a question of am I a Christian or not? Am I really a true believer and a follower of Jesus or not? I I try my best to see if uh, James may possibly be meaning something else. Uh, You know, honestly, I I would rather not preach this. But James is pushing in, and the book of James is part of the whole counsel of the Word of God. And that's what he's calling us to consider. Now, I, I know that the question that james is asking us to consider does open up the door for a little bit of confusion in terms of the interplay between faith and works the bible let me i think it's important to clarify that confusion the bible is very clear absolutely clear undoubtedly clear it is clear page after page after page that we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone, through grace alone, we are not saved by good works. And if you look at this passage closely, even in, James 2 is not at all suggesting that good works has anything to do with earning our salvation, he's not at all suggesting that. In fact, James is actually is, is uh, presupposing that salvation is entirely out of faith. Look at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So the fundamental assumption that James is making is that only faith can save us. Faith in Christ Jesus, not works, not our good behavior, not our good actions, not coming to church, not reading the Bible. But only faith in Jesus, which, of course, produces all of these good works. And James is very clear, undoubtedly clear that it is only faith that can save us. But he is calling us to clarify for ourselves about the nature of our faith. He's clarifying that only real faith can save us. Faith that is accompanied by works will save us. Faith that is not accompanying, accompanied by good works, James is arguing, is no faith at all. He's saying it is dead faith, unreal faith, fake faith, shallow faith, and that faith cannot save us. Salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone. There is no discussing, no disputing that. There's no suggest, suggestion here from James that our actions contribute anything to our salvation. It does not. The Apostle Paul also captures this beautifully in another part of the Bible in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing, it is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are god's craftsmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them so the apostle paul is saying that we are not we are not saved by good works what he is saying is that we are saved for good works our good behavior good actions do not And anything to our salvation, but the fact that we've been freely saved by Christ alone, through faith alone, sorry, by faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone. This faith, this salvation must produce good works. Let me ask you something. Why did James, why is James writing all this to the church of his time? Why do you think James is taking so much pain to remind the church, the church of his time, that faith without works is dead? And why do you think the Holy Spirit and his sovereignty decided this book from James must be a part of the Bible for millennia to come? The answer is simple and and evident. James is reminding the people the church of his time that faith without works is dead because some people in the churches that he was writing to were claiming to have faith in Jesus but did not have the works and actions that demonstrate their faith even in the early church people were claiming to have the faith faith in Jesus but their life was not reflecting that And James was calling them to consider this weighty question. Could this be true of us? Could this be true? Could it be true that some of us, we're claiming to have a faith in Jesus, but we really don't have actions that, that reflect that faith? Could it be that we are wearing the uniform of doctors, but we are unable to heal patients? Could it be that we are claiming to wear the righteousness of Christ without living the righteousness of Christ? No, I I have to assume that some of us are getting really defensive here what are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to tell me? Are you trying, are you even remotely suggesting I I, I may not be a believer? Is that what you're getting at? I don't blame you at all. James has a way of provoking followers of Jesus in a good way. He really has the skill of getting under the skin of, of, of people and and I think that's for the good. He does get, his letter does get a lot of Christians worked up. Let me show this to you. Look at what James says in, in James chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Ouch. He's pretty direct. He's He's pretty blunt. And and, uh, let me assure you that James not only makes the congregation squirm in their seats, he also makes pastors squirm in our seats. Look at James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So this sermon is definitely not me talking down to you. I, I am squirming in my seat as much as you are squirming in your seat. So let's not get defensive here. Let's, let's humble ourselves. And God's placed this question, this forceful question in the Bible for a reason. Let's ask ourselves, let's humble ourselves and ask ourselves honestly, what picture of my faith do my actions paint? This past year, this past month, what picture of my faith do my actions paint? Now, if you're not defensive today, praise God, if you're not defensive maybe you're just a little scared. Maybe a little scared about your salvation. So so maybe you're thinking, maybe I should call Anand after the service and say, please give me a list of good works that I should do. I'll take those boxes and show it to you next week. Then I can be sure I'm, I'm, I'm saved. You see, you see the pendulum swinging to the other extreme. Because of fear. See, James is addressing the problem of faith not leading to works. This is one extreme of the pendulum. In response to that, we are swinging to the other extreme of the pendulum, which is works that are driven by fear and not faith. See, it is fear that is compelling us to tick these boxes, not faith. Faith. Without works and works without faith, both are equally ineffective. And so, as James forces us to consider this question, maybe not swing to the other extreme of works that are birthed out of fear. No, no, no. Jesus didn't die for us to live in fear. He he died and rose again from the dead that we might live in freedom and in joy and in assurance of our salvation and the confidence of our salvation. So that's the first thing that I wanted to draw from, from the passage. Understanding the true nature of good works. Good works do not add to our salvation. Good works is an Evidence of our salvation. The second thing I wanted to draw out from this, passage, from this passage is laying out a true path for good works. Laying out a true path for good works. I hope James is provoking all of us as he is provoking me in a good way to consider how our faith is being expressed in meaningful action. I hope all of us are feeling a stronger desire for our faith to grow into more meaningful action. Now, there's a wrong way to respond to this desire. And there's a right way to respond to this desire. The wrong way to respond to this desire by starting to think, so what good works can I do? What good works should I do? Right, and and I have to tell you, uh, you know, my immediate temptation to the past is, yes, you you can do this, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. And that would be so wrong and so far from the truth of the gospel. So that's the wrong approach. Starting by thinking of what good works to do is the wrong approach. It's the wrong approach to start thinking of what good works can I do because that question itself is disconnected from our faith. And faith and good works must never be divorced. And the right response. To this desire, which I really believe and hope that the Holy Spirit is laying in every one of our hearts, is by asking ourselves, how can I grow in my faith so I can grow in my good works? How can I grow in my faith so I can grow in my good works? This is exactly how James is calling us to grow in good works in the passage we just read. The passage we read gives us three examples of faith leading to good works. The first is an illustrative example and the second two are real life examples. Let's look at the illustrative example first in the passage that we read, verse 15 onwards. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself that does not have works is dead. And this illustration is making a simple point. If you see a need, if we see a need, our faith must inspire us to respond to that need in real ways, not just with empty words. Very simple point from this illustrative example. The second two examples, real life examples that James gives us are extremely interesting. Look at verse 21 and 22. Was not, and they gives us the example of Abraham and Rahab. Rahab the prostitute, if you remember the reading uh, from earlier today. Look at verse 21 and 22. Let's look at Abraham first. Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active. James is clearly showing that the works is flowing from the faith you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. If this is your first time in a church or if you've never read the Bible before, Abraham was a man chosen by God and he lived hundreds of years before Christ was born. God called Abraham. God made a covenant with Abraham and promised Abraham that Jesus Christ, the savior of the world, would descend in the line of Abraham And that all nations would be blessed by Abraham in the line of Abraham through Jesus Christ. God promised Abraham, in your line, Christ Jesus is going to descend. And through Christ Jesus, all nations of the world are going to be blessed. And so Abraham waited for many years, long, long, long years for him to have a son. And he finally had a son, Isaac, with his wife, Sarah. But a few years after Isaac was born, God tested Abraham to refine his faith by asking him to sacrifice his beloved son, Isaac. In faith, Abraham laid Isaac at the altar, but God stopped him and said, your faith has proven true. Abraham's faith strengthened him even to lay his son down on the altar. That's how much his faith was translating into action. Now, if this is your first time in a church, or you know, if you're not familiar with the Bible, you're probably thinking, what kind of a God is this? I, I, you, you didn't tell me this before I signed up to visiting your church. What kind of a God is this who to ask a father to lay down his son as a sacrifice? God had no intention to, to get I, uh, Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. But I wonder if in some way God was trying to show Abraham That he is the father, God himself is the father, who is one day going to lay his son, Christ Jesus, on the altar as a sacrifice of atonement for your sins. So Abraham's faith strengthened him even to the extent of laying his son down at the altar. That's the first example of faith translating to real action that James gives us. The second example is very peculiar. This is a woman named Rahab. Now, for 400 years, just to give us, again, if you're new to church, just to give us a sense of context, for 400 years after Abraham lived and died, all of Abraham's descendants lived in Egypt as slaves. God eventually delivered them from Egypt and led them to a new land called Canaan, where they would form a new nation, a nation that is devoted to God, a nation through which Christ Jesus would eventually descend. Now, the people of Canaan opposed them, so Abraham's descendants had to drive them out. So just before driving them out and moving to the land God had given them, Abraham's descendants sent a few spies to Canaan. The people of Canaan detected, detected these spies and they had to run for their lives. And run they did. And to escape, they took refuge in the house of a Canaanite prostitute named Rehab. Rahab hid these men in, in her home and saved them and sent them away safely. And this is what Rahab told the spies in explaining why she saved them. Rahab told these spies, I had seen I have seen what your God did in Egypt and how powerfully He had delivered you in Egypt." And then Rahab goes on to say, in Joshua chapter two, verse 10, verse 11, which is a book in the Old Testament, uh, Rahab tells these spies, "I believe that the Lord your God, He is the God in the heavens above and on the earth below." It is this faith of Rahab that James is referring to in the passage we read. And this is what James says in verse 25. And in the same way, was, also, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received these messengers of spies and sent them out by another way? So Rahab's faith was so strong that she, she was able to act in a way that defied her culture, her people, her nation, and actually back these wives, faith translating into action. So James is giving us two real examples of Abraham and Rahab to see us how faith translates to, to action or good works. What's the point of these two examples? It's a really odd pair. Abraham and Rahab, really strange combination. I mean, as strange as James is, why would he pick these two, Abraham and Rahab? Abraham was a wealthy man with a big reputation. Rahab was a nobody with a shabby reputation. Abraham was like a prince. Rahab. Was a prostitute. Abraham was a Jew, the people chosen by God to bring Christ into the world. Rehab was a Canaanite woman. Abraham was an insider. Rehab was an outsider. What common lesson is James trying to teach us from the lives of these two extremely contrasting people? It's a very simple lesson. Abraham's faith in Christ was so strong that he was willing to lay his son down on the altar. Rahab's faith in Christ was so strong that she was willing to lay her people, her nation, her country, her culture at the altar to embrace Christ Jesus. Through these two diverse examples, I think here's a point that James is trying to make. Good works are costly. Actions flowing from our faith cost us. Good works is not easy, it is costly. Every good work we do out of faith. Costs us something. Think about any good work that flows from our faith in Christ Jesus. Caring for others. Loving others. Serving others. Being on mission. Building up others. Giving our money to help others. All of these involve sacrifices. For a true follower of Jesus. Every good work is actually a micro reenactment of what Christ did for us. Of course, we don't have to pay the price Christ did. But every good work we do out of faith does cost us something. Faith has come to our hearts, truly come to our hearts, Only when it also inspires us and empowers us to love and serve others sacrificially, just as Christ loved and served us sacrificially. This is the true nature of good works. Good works are costly. Good works flowing out of faith are costly. It costs us. And so if good works are indeed costly, what kind of a God can call us to express our faith through good works? Only a God who bore an infinitely high cost. Only a God who not just for namesake laid his son on the altar, but only a God who actually allowed his son to be brutally murdered on the altar of the cross so that through him, millions of others might be blessed, be saved and have eternal life. Only that God can inspire us to pay, to bear the cost of every good work. So this morning, if the Holy Spirit is is inspiring your heart as he is mine, to grow in good works, we have to begin by looking at Christ Jesus, by putting our faith in Christ Jesus, who at an infinite cost to himself served us so that through a small cost to us, In that proportion, we can save others. He died that we might live. He was punished so we could be forgiven. He was wounded. Christ was wounded. Christ was butchered. Christ was murdered. So we could be made whole. So this morning, if you're experiencing a genuine desire to grow in caring for others, loving others, serving others, being on mission, building up others, giving up your money in in radical generosity, the place to start growing in good works is by our faith in Christ Jesus. Only faith in Jesus can inspire us to good works. If this is your first time in a church, and, and if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're curious about Jesus, and uh, you're, you're checking out the church, let me just, let me just say this to you in, in, in closing. This is the kind of people that Jesus is building here on earth. The church uh, is not there yet. I can assure you, if you're new to New City, none of us are there yet. We do have a desire. We do have a desire. And we are taking tiny baby steps to love and serve others at a small cost to us. Just as Christ loved and served others at an infinite cost to us. So if you're an explorer, that's what we would call someone who's curious about Jesus. And if you are so dissatisfied with the world, if you're so hurt, if you're so... Disappointed, if you're so disillusioned by the selfishness of the world, Christ, through eternal life, through forgiveness of your sins, is inviting you to come and be part of a community, the church that is together growing in the selfless love of Christ. Allow me to pray. Father, we worship you, Lord. Lord, this is so challenging and uh, uh, Lord, even as I'm about to pray, uh, I'm reminded of the verse where James says, not many, of you who, not many of you should teach because those who teach are going to be uh, called to a higher bar of judgment. And uh, I see that, Lord. And uh, we all come to you in humility. You're the one who enables us. And Lord, as we see Christ, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, his sacrifice for us, your Holy Spirit is able to breathe into our hearts the courage, the selflessness to serve others just as you served us. We thank you, Lord. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.